0: Welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Meisler, and this is a weekly show that explores the intersection of security, technology, and humans. I spend 5 to 20 hours a week consuming books, articles, and podcasts, which I then turn into a concise 15 to 30-minute summary and analysis. There's a summary episode every week, as well as periodic standalone episodes that are either me sharing an idea on a topic or discussing one with a guest. The goal is twofold, to keep you up to date on the absolute latest in security and technology and to explore ideas that hopefully give you something to think about. All right, welcome to episode 214. Starting off with security news, London is deploying live facial recognition to find wanted people on the street. So the system won't work automatically. It will just alert police who have to then respond themselves, which a lot of people will still find alarming. But I think we have to remember that this has actually been happening for thousands of years. Basically, someone walks up to a cop and says, hey, the guy from the poster is sitting in that pub over there. And then they go over there and talk to the person. If it's them, then they arrest him. Same with the FBI's most wanted list or any image flashed on a TV during a hunt. Just as with so many things technology, though, it feels viscerally different when it's technology doing key steps in that process. People tend to give far more weight to AI recommendations than to some random citizen on the street. So there is legitimate concern here, but the idea of someone recognizing someone else and telling the authorities and having them act is, you know, millennia old. The only difference here is that it's automation doing it. Charges were finally dropped against the coal fire pen testers arrested while legally breaking into a courthouse on a physical job. Lesson learned here, I think maybe it's that small towns can be very political, and in such situations, Your get-out-of-jail-free card might take five months to actually work properly. A New York Times reporter claims his phone was targeted by Saudi Arabia using Israeli NSO spyware, and some analysis that was done on it seems to corroborate that. Avast has been caught selling the data it collected on hundreds of millions of users. This is free antivirus. I used it at one point many, many years ago free antivirus that I just thought was so cool and I told everyone about it. To me, this highlights that it's a bad idea to give your personal data to companies that don't have a clear way to make money. Because even if the current leadership is morally sound, the company is always one political shakeup away from realizing that they're sitting on a data goldmine. Ring's Android app is full of third-party trackers. Google's bug bounty program paid out $6.5 million in 2019 that seems like a high number but i don't know when i first read it it just seemed really low as well like if i had seen 65 million that wouldn't have seemed too high cali 2020.1 is out and you no longer log in as root tor i think it's end of an era root tor is like permanently associated with security engagements in my mind The UK is letting China help build its 5G networks despite U.S. warnings. They have a bunch of caveats in there of like a certain amount of a network, like no more than 35%, I think is what they said, of a given build-out can be part of it. They call it kit. No more than 35% of the kit can be Huawei. And also certain critical core components could not be made by China, or at least Huawei. So they do have some stipulations, but I don't know. I, I feel like they're just getting their foot, you know, wedged in the, in the doorway, so it can't close on them, and that'll probably end up expanding because it'll be inconvenient to use other stuff, and China will just keep making these great deals. I don't know. I'm a little worried about it. The world's most cited chemist out of Harvard has been arrested on charges of sharing U.S. intellectual property with China in exchange for money. This is academic espionage, basically. Evidently, there are hundreds of other similar cases involving Chinese researchers that are in active investigation state. Advisories. Zoom fixed an issue that potentially allowed attackers to join meetings without authorization. And there was a similar flaw, actually, with WebEx. And there's some critical issues with Magento, which is now an Adobe product. And OpenSMTPD has a really bad RCE. So if you run that, you need to get batched. Technology news. Tesla is going to deliver the first Model Ys in March. And its stock continues to shine. I bought some more of their stock recently because I like what I see. Also an owner now. But after watching the Super Bowl commercials, I'm really curious how they're going to do once everyone is producing decent electric options in their lineups. I tend to think and feel that They're still gonna do okay because they're about to launch the Model Y, which I think is just gonna crush everything that's out there right now, including the Model Three. It's like a small SUV crossover thingy. It's like between a three and an X, basically. And uh, I think the price point, I, I just think it's really gonna do well. So I think they're gonna continue to do well as long as the economy does. But that being said, I mean, we got the Hummer coming out, we've got an electric Mustang, which also looks kind of like the Model 3. So it's an exciting time for cars, which I never thought I'd hear myself saying. There's a new algorithm that can create nearly perfect looking human faces. And this time it doesn't have previous artifacts. So this is basically an iteration above the GAN, GAN face or face GAN or whatever it was called. This is like a version where even if you rotate the face, you don't get the, like these weird looking artifacts. Unbelievable how good these uh, these faces actually look. They look exactly like humans. GM is releasing a 1,000 HP electric version of the Hummer, which I just mentioned. WireGuard VPN is coming to Linux soon, and it's officially in Linus's tree, which the announcer or the creator of WireGuard was super excited to see Linus um, pull his code down into his branch. It is very exciting. There's an AI company called Banjo that's being used in Utah to detect events that require a law enforcement or emergency services response. This is really interesting. I did a bunch of reading after seeing this story. They basically provide the system with tons of live feeds, and it listens to them constantly and surfaces things that are likely interesting, which get reviewed by humans for, you know, to determine whether or not they're going to respond. This is precisely what AI is best at doing. Paying constant attention to everything in a way that humans could not do to scale. So they're basically feeding it up with just tons, just raw text of like live events streaming in. Um, I, I don't know the exact mechanism, if it's like text or audio or whatever, but they basically hooking up all these different feeds. So imagine every, and I'm not even going to say what exactly this company specifically is doing, but um, because I don't know the details exactly on the back end, but. Imagine all the scanner feeds, all the radio feeds, um, all the news text feeds, and you're just like throwing them into this thing and it's just watching them and your whole team goes to sleep or goes on vacation. Why? Because the thing is able to do lots. And if you need more, you make another instance and you put more feeds over there. And so now humans end up being the curation piece, right? They're listening to what the AI surfaces out of that stuff. just really powerful and they mentioned another use case which I can think of a million actually I wrote a piece called um life casting and how it'll change society this is one of the things I talked about in that and that was like in 2003 I think I wrote that but um also talked about this in um the real internet of things the book that I put out back in 2016 I think but basically the idea is you can parse so much more input when you don't have to have humans involved but then you get the benefit of human curation after that point that that slider keeps moving though and you don't actually need humans after a certain amount of time um people don't like to hear that but there will come a point when this these types of systems are good enough to do that surfacing and replaying um without a human involved but it's a good story to say we're just making it easier for humans to do their job. That's what everyone's saying when they're using AI in a way that can't actually challenge human jobs. but uh, the other use case here was uh, was for news teams and you know news outlets to basically watch everything and have the AI surface cool stories that humans might want to cover um but you you could just imagine tons and tons of use cases here where You're going from the uninteresting to the interesting, which the humans then do something with. Really powerful. It's called banjo. The reason they're using it in all these places in Utah is because the company is also in Utah. So that makes sense. But I'm going to be watching them closely. I I think um, this is really cool stuff. iHeartRadio is laying off 1,000 DJs and moving to AI-based programming. I didn't even know I put that story right next to that one. That was fortuitous. But basically, iHeartRadio is saying, look, we've got to get rid of all these DJs. And they're super upset because they have these relationships with the community and they believe they're irreplaceable. I imagine in some cases that's true. In other cases, nobody cares that much. Um, In terms of what they're actually going to do to select songs, though, they're going to use AI for that. And they're going to save a bunch of money doing it. So I think there's two different functions there, right? There's a connection with the radio station through like a human personality. And then there's, you know, are we getting good songs? And maybe structuring how songs are played versus commercials. I'm not sure what all they're using AI for. But that's a thousand DJs gone. And those are kind of creative people. DJs are not just, you know, accountants. And I keep using accountants in a derogatory way. Um, there's a lot of very smart accountants, obviously. And it, there can be creativity involved and run, notwithstanding. But um, We're not talking about coal miners being replaced by AI and drones. We're talking about radio personalities who are whatever, talking about music, making jokes, doing whatever they do. It is a creative profession and they're being taken out by uh, an AI. So in their case, maybe they can go on and do other things. Maybe they become podcasters and have their own radio shows or whatever it is. Maybe they can pivot to other things, but increasingly those other things will also be taken over by by AI. So I do not agree with my friends when they say that everything's going to be fine. Don't worry about it. I I do think we have an issue. Companies. Wheel is a startup that connects healthcare professionals to telemedicine services, teaches them how to use computers and interact with the services, basically getting more and more medical professionals into this online healthcare thing, which I think is fantastic. To me, it's like a Jetsons flying car to be able to see a doctor extremely quickly get medicine prescribed and then have it show up you know within half an hour on your doorstep via you know a bike courier this is exactly the future i think we were hoping for persona just raised 17.5 million to do identity verification services i don't remember when it was probably a year ago or so i talked about how identity verification services are are going to become a huge thing. I think people just need to be able to verify. You have all these different ways of tricking digital verification that at some point people are just going to want to go to the ground level and say, you know, how can we prove that you are you? I imagine this is a lot of digital stuff, so it's not like physical. But I think things like notaries are going to become increasingly important. I think there's going to be like increasing tiers of notary because like anyone can become a notary at this point. But uh, at some point when it gets easy to spoof people with all this bio stuff and uh, DNA and everything, it's it's just going to become really critical that we can actually prove someone is who they say they are. Human news, the coronavirus is forcing a, a global experiment with working from home. So many people are doing that right now. Many, many companies, especially anyone who's gone to China recently. A lot of companies are basically saying stay home, work from home, you know, hope something bad doesn't happen. Um, Just wait for 14 days and uh, write it out. And in most cases, again, I'm not a doctor, not even slightly, but I'm hoping that for the vast majority of people, the last time I checked, it was something like 97% of people. This is like a cold, maybe a flu, but I don't know. I think there's still a lot of information that's being withheld about it. Um, On the China side, in terms of the number of people getting it. I mean, if, if billions of people get a slight cold, it doesn't seem that bad. But then again, if you do 3% of billions, that's still a lot of people dead. I don't remember the fatality percentage for the Spanish flu, but it was pretty high. I think it was way higher than that. So I don't know, somewhere between a really bad flu season and the Spanish flu of 1918, it could definitely be bad, but I just uh, hate to see people thinking that if they get this, they're definitely going to die. I think 97% is, those are pretty good numbers. And again, I have no idea if it's gonna actually stay at 97% or if it's really even at 97% now. I can't fully trust the data right now, but it seems to be getting more solid. In fact, I have some data down here. Uh, from some good sources that point to around 97%. Humans are hardwired to reject facts that disagree with their worldview, and the name for it is called motivated reasoning. Motivated reasoning. A health records company made a deal with a drug maker and then programmed their machines to recommend that doctors prescribe their opioids. So you would go in, you would use a health records, you know, electronic machine as a doctor and part of the prompt or part of the questions part of the wizard would basically say do they have pain yeah maybe they need opioids just throwing that out there i'm not sure what the actual wizard said but it was super gross considering the fact that the the maker of the device which is there for health records had a financial relationship with an opioid provider and presumably just tons and tons of opioids went out because of this. A new solar telescope in Hawaii has revealed the most detailed images yet of the sun. And it turns out the surface looks like tiny nuggets of gold. I saw this image, did not look anything what I would like what I would imagine. I imagined like, I don't know, super close up it would look. Of course, we're not super close up, we're 8 million miles away, but at that resolution, I would have imagined small gold, like fire, like plasma. But, um, you know, this is what happens when you're 8 million miles away. Maybe it looks different when you're closer. But, uh, yeah, it looks like uh, like tiny little things of folded gold, like gold nuggets, actually. Market Street in San Francisco is about to be private vehicle free. So, like, buses, trolleys, stuff like that will still be cool, but not regular cars which I think is a great improvement, but it's hard to cheer when they're in the middle of a humanitarian rule of law crisis with homelessness, addicts, and the mentally ill. Yeah, it's getting quite a bit more sad in San Francisco. Ideas, trends, and analysis. The dark web has nothing on data brokers. This is a piece I wrote over the weekend. Uh, You should check it out. Basically, it compares the risk to your privacy from Data Brokers versus the Dark Web. And i got a link here to an experienced helicopter pilot with experience in LA and Southern California, giving his opinion on what he thinks happened in the Bryant helicopter crash. Bottom line is that he thinks the pilot was flying way too low, like 150 feet in a lot of places, in an attempt to get it to his destination in the air when he should have just landed and got a car. First thing I thought when I heard about the accident was the Aaliyah plane crash. So many mistakes like these come down to either ego or pressure from money and power. Of course, this is all conjecture until the NTSB says what happened. But my guess is that he was either hulking out trying to impress somebody, or he was afraid for his job and his career and his reputation and was being pressured not to land because they wanted to get where they wanted to go and they didn't want to delay. And those two things, ego and like fear of power, seem to cause a lot of accidents. And actually, this is what happened in in uh, flight, in airplanes. You had, especially in Asia, a lot of crashes because the co-pilot was so frightened of the pilot that they wouldn't point out like massively obvious things. Like, we don't have any gas. We can't keep flying. But because of the culture, they were so afraid to speak. and to, you know, to be embarrassed or to be ridiculed or to be basically get in trouble by this more senior pilot, that they would literally rather die and rather have everyone else on the plane die than suffer the humiliation of getting scolded by a superior. Um, and obviously, I don't know that was the case on on the um, helicopter. But with Aaliyah, I think Aaliyah or someone on her crew told the pilot, No, the other way around. The pilot told someone there, one of the celebrities, that basically, we can't fly. This is too heavy. We can't take off. Don't do it. And I think there was evidence basically saying that they were threatened with their job and they were told to do it or else. And they did it and everyone died. Right? That just tells you how much pressure can be on a human being, that you're actually weighing life and death in the other hand and you still choose the other hand. So I've thought for a while now that most Wi-Fi networks are fairly safe. I hadn't really thought it through fully, but I just felt like, yeah, this this isn't that bad. Maybe it's just the lack of news stories of people getting completely destroyed on public Wi-Fi lately. But this piece here talks about the main reason, which is the fact that over 90% of US sites use HTTPS. I mean, I do cite that as a pretty good reason. Um, There's still data leakage, but there aren't too many threat models that I find public wireless problematic for to me, the biggest threat has always been redirection attacks where you target some part of the stack to get the victim to talk to an attacker controlled system instead of the router. Right. So, um, DNS layer two, de de-authing, all these different things to basically try to get them to talk to you instead. In the old days, just pulling unencrypted passwords out of the air. that, That was the big thing. But, these types of attacks are significantly harder to do these days. And as a result, there are just far fewer people trying to do them at any given place you're likely to be. It uh, doesn't mean it can't happen, but yeah, it just seems a uh, fairly low risk. And if you add a VPN to that, add some other controls, it just gets lower and lower risk, I think. San Francisco is becoming a dystopian nightmare. This is the final story in the ideas, trends, and analysis section. and. Uh, really goes with the um, what I was talking about earlier about Market Street. It's nice to not have cars. But yeah, it would also be nice to not have dystopia. So I think we have work to do there. Thanks to Tim L. and others in the UL Slack channel for consistently providing great links, a few of which are in this newsletter and podcast. So really appreciate that. They just keep putting out great content, good conversations. It's a lot of fun. And I'm uh, coming to you live from my new workstation. I am switching away from laptops at home and uh, went with a desktop. Got me a new uh, Mac Pro and uh, 16 cores, 96 gigs of RAM, a couple terabytes of disk. It is great to have a desktop instead of a laptop. It is uh, whisper quiet. Yeah, definitely loving the desktop experience. Super fast, obviously, just uh, buttery smooth. Looking forward to doing some video stuff on it. Discovery. Benedict Evans. Tech in twenty twenty presentation from Davos. Everything Ben Evans does in uh, these types of looking at the patterns in technology and stuff, I just love the presentations. I also like how he presents. Basically, like one long sentence. Yeah, he's um, it's just very conversational. I like how he does it, and I think he's generally pretty smart. Got some talk links here from Enigma 2020, which sad I didn't get to go to. It's usually back-to-back or in the same exact week as Abset Cali. So I usually have to choose one or the other. And uh, this year I did Abset Cali. An update on the coronavirus situation has over 17,000 cases and nearly 400 deaths. I think that was from yesterday though, which means it was from like the day before. So these numbers are changing constantly. It says here about 2% mortality. I said 3% earlier. Looks like about 2%. And this data comes from Johns Hopkins, the CDC, and China's NHC. Just keep in mind those numbers are very fluid. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure we're getting the full story on that yet. I think it might take a couple weeks to figure everything out. An open letter to the threat intelligence community. How to find new music. How to see and delete what Google has on you. How to see and delete what Facebook has on you. Spiderfoot 3.0, a major release to a very strong OSINT tool. And Cred Ninja, determine if credentials are valid or admin. Recommendations. A lot of people ask me how I write pretty good, decent summary sentences for all these stories. I like some of them, I don't like others, but I try to make a decent sentence uh, to summarize the thing in one or two sentences. Uh, the book that helped me the most with this is A Sense of Style by Stephen Pinker. I see it as the modern and improved version of all the classics in this genre, like um, Elements of Style. And I read like four of those books, uh, which I really liked. Elements of Style used to be my favorite. And now this one is from Steven Pinker. I actually intend to reread it soon. Uh, it's called, again, A Sense of Style by Stephen Pinker. And uh, yeah, I remember reading it. I remember exactly where I was. I was outside the HP office in Palo Alto when I was having the best possible reading experience reading this book, so many epiphanies, and I actually need to reread it, really do. I feel like it's probably once every two to three years, I want to reread that book. Just extremely clear articulation of why you do one thing, not the other. And to this day, when I'm writing a sentence, especially these little concise um, summary sentences, I find myself reorganizing based on something I remember from that book. Even though I'm not actually remembering a methodology, I'm not going back intangibly looking at something and and redoing it, I got it from osmosis, from reading the book, and it's exactly how learning is supposed to work. So can't recommend that book enough, A Sense of Style by Steven Pinker. In the aphorism for the week, people who aren't happy with what they have also won't be happy with what they want. People who aren't happy with what they have also won't be happy with what they want. Seneca. All right, thanks for listening to this episode of Unsupervised Learning. I believe ads are not just annoying, but that their incentive structure is toxic to the content creation process. So if you enjoy the show, please consider supporting it directly for just $5 a month or $50 a year, which is two months for free. UL members get the newsletter each week instead of just twice a month they get access to the archives, they get access to the UL Slack community, where we share ideas and links about the topics we discuss here in the podcast. They also get access to the UL Book Club, where we pick a book a month and talk about it live as a group. To become a member, just head over to danielmeasler.com slash subscribe. And thank you so much to everyone who's already a member. Each of you is helping support a model of content creation that we really need right now. And I appreciate you greatly. We'll see you next time.